Well, this morning, I want to take some time to minister on Abraham. Everybody knows who Abraham is, right? You've often, huh? <laughs> You've often heard of him referred to as, as Father Abraham, right? We used to always sing the song, Father Abraham has many sons. Nobody's going to sing with me. There we go. <laughs> and then in Romans 4.11, the scripture says that he is the father of all those who believe. And the truth is that all the Jews, even to this day, they can trace their lineage back to Abraham. But honestly, we find out that having a, a, a genealogy traced back to Abraham really isn't what was important of that time. They thought it was. They thought that that's how they were saved, was just being related somewhere down the line to Abraham. But you remember John the Baptist, he was out preaching. He said this in Matthew 3.9. He says, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So we get to see a glimpse that really being related to Abraham, being part of that line, isn't what saves you. The same is true in our lives. If we know Jesus Christ and we've been saved, it doesn't mean that our children are automatically saved as well. They're going to have to experience a faith of their own. They're at some point, once they reach an age of maturity, to place their faith in Jesus Christ themselves. But we do find that we are related to him in an even greater way. And that's because Abraham was the first to be considered righteous. Not by works, not because of the circumcision, the covenant of circumcision, but by faith. Abraham believed God and he was considered righteous. And by the grace of God, he was called. And he responded. That was the important part. He was called by the grace of God. He responded and because of his belief, he was considered righteous. And the same is true for us today. If you read in Ephesians 2, 8-9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Even today, our, our salvation is based on our faith, our trust in God. It has nothing to do about what we do. It doesn't mean just because we call ourselves Christians we're saved. Not because we go to church every Sunday that we're saved, but it's because we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ who gave His life on the, cro- on the cross for us. He exchanged His life for ours. But we can take some time and look at the life of Abraham, though, and we can recognize that he was a great example of faith as he lived his life. So what I want to do today is just take some time and look at some, some key moments in his life where he expressed his faith. We can take a look at his character and we can see that we can learn from him and imitate his trust in God. So this is where it all starts for Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, as you guys know, his name wasn't always Abraham. His name started out as Abram. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Yeah, Abraham didn't start out as Abraham. He was, he was known as Abram, and we'll find that later in his life, God actually changes his name, and there's really great significance in that. But you've got to, to take a look at his life now, and it's just this regular guy 
He's living his life. And God comes up to him and speaks to him. And this has to be a little bit of a shock to him because at this time, Abram is not serving God. Matter of fact, he's serving other gods at this point in time when God comes to him. If you read Joshua 24.2, it says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. So Tahor, who was the father of Abraham, served other gods. And Abram was right there with him. So he's got this, this night, and it doesn't say how that God spoke to him. I don't know if he had a vision or a dream or if, if he audibly heard God spoke. It doesn't really say, but we do know that God spoke to him. And the message was clear, but the message was amazing, but the message was also incredibly tough to hear. He says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be so great that not only will you be blessed, but you will be a blessing to others. And then he says, if other people bless you, I'm going to bless them as well. And finally, he says that in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. He says, your blessing is going to be so great that it's going to overflow from you into others. You ever wonder how you'll see people that obviously don't serve God? You're like, man, they're not even really good people, but they seem to have blessing in their lives. And we wonder, why is God blessing them? Sometimes the blessing of God overflows from those who are following Him, just spills out into everywhere. A similar thing can be seen with Moses when he invited his father-in-law to come travel with him. In Numbers 10.29 it says, And Moses said to Habab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, he says, We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do good to you. For the Lord has promised good to Israel. You know, the the blessing that God had promised to Israel was going to overflow into his father-in-law's life just because he was in in the vicinity of him. And the same thing happens today, and the same thing was going to be happening to Abraham. Just the blessing of his life was going to overflow into all of the earth. And we, we know that having, uh, we're looking at this in hindsight, we know that Jesus comes to the lineage of Abraham. And ultimately, we are all blessed in Jesus Christ. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't just stop there. It wasn't just you're going to be blessed. But what does he start it out with? He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He basically said, you know what? I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you but you're going to have to get up and go. You're going to have to leave. You know, God has plans for every single person in this room. He has a plan for your life. But sometimes that means that we have to be set apart from where we once were. Sometimes we have to get away from the the things that were holding us down. See, God called Abraham to get up and get away from the idolatry and the corruption that was currently in the place that he lived right then. He needed to be positioned for blessing. And he couldn't remain where he was. Where he was currently positioned would have limited God's ability to make an impact in his life. God said, I need to get you up and away from here so I can be impactful in your life so that you're not distracted and drawn in by those things that would do that to you so that I can be a blessing in your life. So then we'll go ahead and take a look at the next couple of scriptures there, the next couple of verses. It says, 
in Genesis 12:4 through 5, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai. Even, even Sarah wasn't called Sarah to start with. His wife's original name was Sarai, his wife, and his lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions. And they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they had come to the land of Canaan, comma, that's where the verse ends. There's more. You can read it. But uh, that's where we'll stop right now. But anyway, Abram gets told by God, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Everybody's going to be blessed to you, but you have to get up and go. And that had to have been a tough thing because basically, how many of us would be excited if we were told that we needed to get up, pack up, and leave our family behind? Leave everybody that we know behind. Leave our land, leave our our house, leave our friends, leave our job, get up and leave everything. That was a pretty tough order, I think. But Abram said yes to God. He placed his faith in him, and he trusted him. And it wasn't just lip service. How many people do, do we know that say they trust God, but if you look at their life, there's no evidence whatsoever that they are doing what they say that they believe. They say, I trust God, but they, everything in their life says they're trusting in something else. This wasn't just lip service for Abram. He said, you know what, I'm going to trust God, and you're going to see evidence of that. And he got up, and it says, and Abram went as the Lord had told him to go. Too many times in our lives we hear God's voice. We have an amazing experience with Him and we give our lives to Him. We dedicate our lives to Him. But then we never move from that place that we were when we walked up to the altar. We never leave that place. When God spoke to us, we we remain stagnant. This is why you've probably seen many people give their lives to Jesus. They get up and they get saved. But then just as quickly they fall away. They have an experience with God, but they never get up and go to where God called them to go. So they slip back into the old life that they have and it looks like there's no change. Because sometimes we need to get away from where we were for God to move in our lives. Abram was called out of the corrupt and idolatrous place that he was in because if he would not have left, God couldn't have accomplished what he wanted to accomplish in his life. What if Abram would have said no? What if Abram would have said, you know what, I'm happy here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out, I want to stay with my family. I mean, we know that Jesus comes to the lineage of Abram and Jesus was, was given to save the entire world. What if Abram would have said no? How would things have been different? And this isn't just for new Christians. I just gave you an example of people that get saved and they never leave where they are. But many times us old-timers stand up here and say, shout at the top of our Lord's, here I am, Lord, send him. (laughs) We all do it. I know we've all been, maybe it's just me, but... We stand up and we we say, here we are, but we never leave the place where God's called us out of. So I asked, what would happen if Abraham would have stayed put? What would have happened if Abram wouldn't have left when God asked him to do? How would things be different? But I can ask the same question of every one of us in this room. What will be different if we stay put when God calls us to do something? If God calls us to do something and we don't go anywhere, who's going to be affected? 
not just our own lives, but our friends, our family, our co-workers, those who God had intended for us to impact in our lives, they're going to be affected as well. God wants to do amazing things in and through us. We have to leave where we are and go to where He has called us to go. So then Abram, he goes, and if you read a little bit further on in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. And it says that he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abram goes, he listens, he gets to the land of Canaan. God says, this is it. And he builds an altar to God. And we're like, you know, you're reading this, you're like, man, he did it, he listened to God, he got to the land where he's going to go. And in our heads we think, you know what, I bet you it was just amazing from here on out. Now, that's what I would think. I think things would be great. You trust God. You do what He says, and everything's going to be great from here on out. But if you read just a little bit further, you find out that He actually took a little trip down to Egypt for a little while because there was famine in the land. God says, get up. I'm going to bless you like you've never been blessed before, and it's going to be great for you. You're going to bless others. So He gets up and He goes and He gets to the land, and He can't even grow food. It's a complete famine in the land. You're like, wait a minute, I thought God was going to bless him. You know, sometimes when you step out in faith and you trust God, it doesn't mean everything's going to be easy from that point forward. Sometimes things are going to be tough. We're going to meet resistance along the way. If you think back in your life, have you ever made a decision to follow God and then when you stepped out in faith, you found it to be a little bit difficult. You found it to be a little bit hard. What I want you to know is that doesn't mean to give up. Abram didn't give up. He didn't just turn around and go home. The truth is that when we meet resistance in our life, it's perfectly normal. And the truth is that you're not alone because others have dealt with it before. As a matter of fact, I almost guarantee that you will meet resistance when you step out in faith. But like Abram, who went with his wife and he went with his nephew, sometimes we just need people to walk alongside, to encourage us, to live us up. Abram didn't walk alone, and as we step out in faith, we need to ensure that we're not walking alone either. Because times will be tough, things will be difficult, we will come up against resistance. But that's what we're all here for as a family, to lift each other up, to help us through those tough times so that God will be able to deliver to us what He's promised. And I want you to know that God is faithful. If He's promised it, He will give it to you. Amen? And then in Genesis 13, 14 through 18, you'll notice now I'm going to be skipping chunks ahead into Abram's life because if we uh, wanted to look at the entirety of Abram's life, we'd be here for quite a few hours and I know nobody's thrilled about that, and as it is, it's probably going to be a little bit longer than normal. So anyway, Genesis 13, 14 through 18 says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. 
You know, very often you'll see in Abram's life that he's building altars to the Lord. He honors God in everything that he does. When he gets somewhere new, he looks to God for guidance. He worships God. He honors God at every opportunity. But this is the the next part of the story. After that quick track into Egypt, where uh, he got himself into all kinds of trouble as well. You can read about him uh, going and saying his wife was his sister, and Pharaoh tries to, to... hook up with his wife, and, you know, that's never good. But uh, after that's all done, he heads back to the land in Canaan where he had built that altar. And then he kind of gets into a little little bit of a quarrel with Lot. It's actually the herdsmen are getting upset about uh, where their herds are going to, to, to graze and all these things, and they're starting to butt heads. And the funny thing is, is they're at this huge expanse of land, and they're both rich. I mean, they both have everything. The scripture says that Abram was rich. He had cattle. He had, uh, he had servants. He had everything. But anyway, these guys, are they're fighting with each other. And Abram says, you know what? There's no reason for us to fight, nephew. There's no reason for us to be doing this. He says, look at all this land. There's plenty of land. He says, you pick the left, and I'll go to the right. Or you pick the right, I'll go to the left. doesn't matter. Pick where you want to go. And then I'll take what's left over. So Lot picks down in the valley because he looked out in the valley and he said, you know what, there's, there's water, there's, 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 there's growth, there's, all, there's life, and that's where I want to be. And he leaves Abram with what's left. So after this is, it, is when God gives this promise. After Lot separates away, God takes him and he says, lift your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward, and westward, and for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. We begin to see this an amazing promise from God. And he says, you know what? Basically, your offspring won't be able to be counted. He says, if you could count every speck of dust on the earth, then you would be able to count your offspring. And he says, you are going to be blessed. You're going to have kids that continue to populate the earth, and you are going to just be an amazing blessing to everyone. Basically, he's reaffirming the promise that he had given earlier. And what I find interesting is that when he says, look up, lift up your eyes and look, he could see where Lot had picked his land. Even though he had in his generosity and his, his love for his family and his generosity said, you take what you want, ultimately God said the blessing, the promise that I've given you is still true. Everything that you can see will be yours and your offsprings. He had given away to be generous, and God said, you have lost nothing. And the same is true for us in our lives. When we're generous in our lives, we're not actually losing anything. God still promises to take care of us, to make sure that we are, are, are blessed. The other thing that's pretty amazing about this is that I haven't mentioned it yet, but how many of you guys know how old Abram was when, when he was first called by God? 75 years old. And God said that you're going to be a father of many nations here shortly. He'll tell him that. But he says that your offspring are going to be innumerable. You're 75 years old. But you know what? Abram didn't even have any kids at this point. God's saying that your seed is going to populate the earth, but he don't have any kids at this point. That's a pretty amazing promise if you think about it. And that'd be one that's pretty tough to believe pretty tough to understand but he says one thing after this as well after he says that look as far as you can see 
and it's all yours. He tells him to do one more thing. He says, Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Just like we talked about a few moments ago, faith demands action in our lives. When we say that we trust God, there should be evidence of it in our lives. And faith always demands action. We also see here that Abram just wasn't looking with his physical eyes either. When God told him to look north, south, east, and west and all that you can see, he wanted him to be looking in faith and not just with his physical eyes. You see, his offspring were not just limited to the physical land that he could see. That would be a pretty crowded place to have innumerable offspring in just the area that he could see. But we know that his offspring are spread throughout the entire world. And the amazing thing about it is through Jesus Christ, we have been included in the promise that was given to Abraham. We are blessed. A little bit farther along in in, uh, Abram's life, we begin to see his love for his kinsmen as well, his love for his brethren. In Genesis 14, 13 through 16, it says, The one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of the Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshkel and of Aner, These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and he defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. So let me give you a little background on what's going on here. The story kicks off with a, with a war between nine different kings. We have the four kings on one side and five kings on the other. And uh, this is in Genesis 14, 8-9. It says, Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboilam, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out, and they joined the battle in the valley of Siddim. And with Shedalomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Golem, Amrabal, king of Shinar, and, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four against five. So basically, we got Sodom and Gomorrah and all those that were allied with them, there's five different kingdoms, are battling against four others. And basically, what happens is, is the four kings come in and they defeat the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they, they basically defeat him and take over the land. And as those five kings are in retreat, they either are fleeing or they've been trapped up or they've been killed and they're basically in hiding. Those, those five kings and their armies have disappeared. And if you read the story, you'll find that Lot first settled in that land that Abram told him to go and he kept looking back towards Sodom. And then he would move a little bit closer and at this time, now, now Lot is actually living in Sodom. He's turned his back on that land and he's, he's kind of joined the world there. And he, he's living in Sodom and, and Sodom gets its butt kicked and the kings and the armies are all gone and these other four kings they come in and they just scoop up everything. They go into the land of Sodom they scoop up Lot and his, his family and all their possessions and they, they take them as the spoils of war. And when the kings came through, they took Lot, they took his family. And up until this point, Abram's kind of just stayed out of it. He's letting them do their things. He's kind of a a set apart from all of these different people. Matter of fact, he was considered, they called him Abram the Hebrew. He He was 
considered a sojourner in that land. He wasn't part of those peoples. And he was staying out of it. But then he finds out from somebody who escaped that his kinsmen had been taken captive. And when he hears that his family has been taken captive, he decides to step into action. The interesting thing about this is at this time, Lot's not been the greatest nephew. Basically, he was butting heads with them because Lot was kind of worried about not having enough. And Abram says, you know what, take whatever land you want. And then eventually he kind of turns his back on everybody and heads into Sodom and separates from his family. Lot's not been the greatest nephew. But the truth is, Abram still loved his family. And he got up and he went to war for him. He went to fight for him. And that's the same attitude that every single one of us should have towards our, our brothers and sisters. And not just our physical family, but family is so much more. As a, as a body, as a church, we're a family. We need to be willing to fight for one another, to stand up for one another. So Abram still goes in and rescues him despite being treated poorly. You know, there's some things that go on in this world that, as Christians, it's safe to ignore. Some stuff is going on that just doesn't have anything to do with us, and it's not worth fighting with or fighting about. But sometimes, we have to stand up and make a stand. We have to fight against the Sodom and Gomorrahs of this world that are, that are, that are doing things that we don't agree with that affects our family. If it affects our family, if it affects our church, if it's in contradiction to the word of God, sometimes we have to stand up and fight. And that's what Abram did here. It was affecting his family. And he stood up and fought. And I look at this and and we see that Abram gets up with 318 men and he travels as far as Dan, which is over 100 miles away. He pursues these four kings with 318 men. And then he proceeds to kick their butt and take everything back. Now, there's four kings <coughs> pardon me, and four armies. I don't know how big their armies were, but you can bet there were probably more than 318 people. But the truth is that when we're walking with God, even when we're physically outnumbered and outgunned, if we'll trust in Him, we'll always be victorious. Like Abram, we need to be a people who will stand up and fight for our family. Like I said, that doesn't just include bud relatives, but that includes all of us in this room as a family. We need to be willing to stand up and fight for one another. Amen? Amen. So then after this war, we read in Genesis 14, 17 through 22, it says, After his return from the defeat of the Shedder the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. So this is right after that victory. He went and uh, defeated those uh, four kings, and he brought back uh, the, the lot and all the people of Sodom. He rescued all, the, all of Sodom. He brought back the possessions, and he's met in the valley by two kings. He's met by Melchizedek, king of Salem, and Melchizedek 
is actually translated to righteousness. And he says he's from Salem, which, which Salem literally translates to peace. So basically, this is, this is righteousness and peace that he's meeting with. And then the king of Sodom. And if you look at the, the word Sodom translated means burning. And if we, we look, take a look at this, this situation that's going on here, it's, it's basically exemplifying some spiritual truths that we can learn from and apply in our lives. He's got two kings coming to him. One of them is, is king righteousness of peace, and the other one is the king of burning. And Sodom, if you read the scriptures, you'll, you'll know represents the world. Because there's really not ever good things said about Sodom in the, in the scripture. It represents people that are just devoid of God, ignoring God. It represents the world. And the king of Salem, he brings bread and wine. And he gives God's blessing. It says that, Blessed be Abraham, most high possessor of heaven and earth. He, he blesses Abraham and offers bread and wine, offers fellowship with him. And then the other king comes and offers stuff. King of Sodom says, Give me the people, but go ahead and take the goods for yourself. You know what? You came, you rescued everything. Go ahead and keep all the stuff. I just want the people back. And we have one king that represents God and his kingdom. And the other represents the world and what it wants to offer to you. See, the world is always saying, you know what, go ahead and have this stuff. I just want you. And it wants to take your body, your person. And just like Abram, right then, we have to make the same spiritual choices today. And I want to be saying, like Abram did, go ahead and keep your stuff. I choose God. Go ahead and keep your stuff, but give me Jesus. And then afterwards we see that Abraham gives him a tenth of everything. This is the first time that we see the tithe in the scriptures. We see the tenth being given. And many people argue that, oh, we don't have to give a, a tenth anymore. That was a law thing. That was in the, the book of the law. And that's, that's for the Old Testament. That's not for, for us Christians today. But the truth is, this is way before the law came into existence. And as a matter of fact, it's not even the first time that a tenth is mentioned being given before the law comes into play. Jacob offered a tithe pre-law as well. In Genesis 28-22 it says, And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. And everyone can relax this morning. We're not, we're not going to do another offering. This is just a good old-fashioned teaching. But uh, yeah, that giving a tenth to God as an act of worship, as an act of honor, was done well before the law ever came into place. And like Abram, when we give a tenth, we're giving a sacrifice of worship to our king priest, Jesus Christ. Amen? So then in Genesis 15, 1-6, as we continue on throughout Abram's life, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward. You shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. You know, Abram's been going for a little while now. 
75 years old, God says you're going to have offspring that are innumerable. And up to this point, he still doesn't even have a kid. I imagine at this point, Abram's starting to feel a little bit of doubt. Matter of fact, I'm almost positive it's because God comes to him and says, fear not. He's expressing something that would make God want to reassure him. He had been been promised to have offspring numbered like specks of dust. He doesn't even have a child. But God comes to him and says, fear not. And this is advice that I think that we all should take to heart even today. Now, many of you that are here today, we've walked together for, for two years growing this church. You've walked when, when these chairs were just had a couple people in them. And now almost all of them are full. We've walked together and stood in faith and believed God would grow us, get us into a building. We've put on huge outreaches and seen no fruit. We've handed out thousands of flyers and seen nobody show up. We've seen all kinds of things come against us. And in those times, we had to take comfort to God and says, Fear not. I'm still with you. I've still made the promise. And as we look today, we can see that, the, that there's many more people that are part of this church. We have a building that just got approved by the city against all odds. We're going to be moving in very soon. We've seen salvations. We've seen people give their lives to God. But most of all, we've seen that God is faithful. He says, fear not, even when it seems like things aren't going. He says, fear not. And if we'll continue to trust Him, as we've seen with our own eyes, He continues to be faithful. And the truth is, as we move forward, there's going to be times when it seems like things are tough. They're not going the way that we want them to go. And I think we need to remember even then, God will always say, fear not, I am with you. If God has promised, it will be. It's, with God, it's never a matter of if, but it's always a matter of when. If God has promised something, it will come to pass. So Abram is told, fear not. I know you're struggling, you're having doubts, you're seeing that you don't have any offsprings, but God says, fear not. And he reiterates the promise to him. He says, look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're even able to number them. And that's how many offspring are going to be from you. And then we see, he says, he believed the Lord. Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's the real thing to note from this story, is that Abram put his trust in God. He believed God, and that was what was considered to Abram as righteousness. Abram wasn't considered righteous because he got up and he, he left and did what God told him to do. He wasn't considered righteous because he was a great guy and offered land to his nephew, that he was a great guy and he went and rescued his nephew. He was considered righteous because he trusted God. Paul says it much better than I ever can in Romans four sixteen through 22. It says, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. 
As it is written, I have made you the father of nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and when he considered, considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, and he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. You see, righteousness by faith has always been the plan of God. This isn't a brand new thing when Jesus came into the picture. It was always faith in God that resulted in righteousness. And today, we place our faith in Jesus Christ who went and died on the cross for us to give us a brand new life. And it's not living a good life. It's not doing all the right things. It's not showing up to church every Sunday. It's not reading your Bible every night. It's not praying for people. It's not any of those things that will get you into heaven. It's not any of those things that guarantees your salvation, but only trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the work that he has done on the cross. And then in Genesis 17, 1 through 5, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I might make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of of a multitude of nations. See, God entered into a covenant with Abram, and everything at that point in his life changed. He was no longer Abram, but he was Abraham, the father of many nations. And this isn't the only time in Scripture where you see people's names have been changed. You remember that Peter was once called Simon. After he chose to follow Jesus, his name was changed to Peter. And then you guys all know that Saul became Paul. The writer of two-thirds of the New Testament used to be known as somebody else, but when he had an an encounter with Jesus, everything changed. So much so that they even changed his name. He wasn't who he used to be. He was someone else. And I want you to know that when you get saved, the exact same thing is true of you. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you are made brand new. You're not who you used to be. Now it's true, we don't go around giving everybody new names. But the reality is that you are brand new when you accept Jesus Christ into your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. You are brand new. You're not who you used to be. That's why we're told to put on the new selves in Ephesians 4, 20-24. He says, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, the old you, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. There's two different parts of your life. There's the old self and the new self. When you get saved, you're made brand new. You're no longer who you used to be. I can imagine that when this happened to to Abram, everyone thought he was crazy. 
I can see him walking into to the tent to hang out with all his buddies, and they're like, hey, Abram's here. And he's like, no, 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 guys, call me Abraham. And they're like, dude, you know what that means? It means father of many nations. You don't even have any kids. Are you crazy? You see, Abraham was calling himself by faith the father of many nations well before he had any kids. You know what? He might have also thought the same thing about himself. Man, this is crazy. How can I call myself this? I know God said it, but how can I do that? I don't even have any kids. I mean, what's, this doesn't make any sense. You know, the same thing can happen to you if you've been born again, you've been made brand new, and, and one of your friends comes up and asks you to do something that your new self's not willing to do. And they'll say, we know who you are. We know the stuff that you've done. You're not fooling anybody. Why are you saying you're this new person? Or you might even think the same thing about yourself. You've, you've been told by, by me, I said, you know what, you're a brand, you got saved and you're a brand new person, but you're like, I don't, I don't feel any different. I don't, I don't, I, I don't understand. I, I'm having a hard time believing this. We might begin to question if anything really has happened. Are we really brand new? Because, Pastor, you don't even know the things that I've done. You don't know how bad these things were. But it doesn't matter because that's who you used to be. It's not who you are anymore. We can and we should reply the same way that Abraham replied. I'm not who I was, but I am who God says that I am. And this doesn't rely on what you see. When, when Abram walked into a room and said, I'm the father of many nations, and they said, you don't even have any kids. He says, you know what? I am what God says I am, and it doesn't matter what you see. And the same thing for us. It doesn't matter what other people see, and it, and it may not even matter what we see if God says you're something else, which he does. You can say, you know, you're not going to tell people I'm the father of many nations, but you can tell people I am forgiven. I am free. I've been made brand new. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm not a slave to my old way of life. But now I'm driven by my righteousness in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, that's a lot to read. Genesis 18, 22 through 33. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to, be put, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abram answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am, I am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there, he answered. 
For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. You know what? Abraham didn't just contend for his family, but he contended for people that he didn't even know. He stood in the gap for the righteous people of Sodom and prayed to God for their salvation. And why would he, why would he do this? Why would he sta- literally stand up to God, as it were? Why would he do something like this? I think it's because he had the heart of God. He cared about those people that were in that city. If any were righteous, he wanted them to live. He was walking in the will of God, and I believe that he saw with the eyes of God when he looked out across that city. And I just have to, I imagine the guts it took to, to have this argument with God. Because we've seen it elsewhere in Scripture. Do you guys remember when Job was arguing with God? Basically telling God how he would do it? It didn't end like this, that's for sure. God didn't agree with them. He basically said, Job, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Basically, who do you think you are to try to tell me, God, how to do things? You know, when I argue with God, I get pretty much a similar response. And there's been times I've argued with God. I didn't like the way things were going. I'm like, God, I would do it this way. And I get the same thing. Who do you think you are? Don't you think I know what's going on? But then you look at Abraham. When Abraham did it, God listened. So what was the difference? You see, when, when Job argued with God, he was looking inwards. Most of the time when I argue with God, I'm looking inwards at how this affects me and how I would do it different so things would affect me differently. But when Abram went to contend with God, he was looking outward. That's the kind of heart that I want to have. One that looks into this, to this city, into this community. And let's face it, there's all kinds of people doing all kinds of terrible things in this city. But you know what? God still loves them. God still has a plan for their life. And I want to have the same heart that Abram has. I want to have the eyes of God, the heart of God when I look at those people and recognize that God loves them every bit as much as he loves me. Abram's prayers were motivated by love. And so should ours. Amen? In Genesis 21, 1-7, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. As God had commanded him, Abraham Pardon me. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Abraham's now a hundred years old. Sarah's ninety. Can you imagine that uh, that picture? Well, I wonder if the kid's a little bit upset when his dad's one hundred and ten if he can't go out and play football with him or something. Seriously, leave me alone. I'm 110 years old. I'm not getting out there. You see, God fulfilled His promise. Even when from the outside looking in, you're like, this is crazy. There's no way that this makes sense. 
But with God, just like I said earlier, it wasn't a matter of if God was going to fulfill His promise with Abraham. It was a matter of when. And He did so. He's 100 years old when His son is born. And He waited 25 years for the promise of God to be fulfilled. He trusted God when everything in this world said otherwise. When his friend said, you don't even have kids. When he looked at his body and said, I didn't think I could have kids. And I know she can't. Look at her. But God was faithful. When doubt crept up, when fear crept up, he pushed it away and instead chose to believe God. And I think, like Abraham, we need to operate in that same faith, in that same patience. We so often say a prayer to God and look at our watch and it's been a minute and a half and we're discouraged because God hasn't answered our prayer yet. And then it's after about three and a half minutes, we just give up and say, oh, I guess the answer was no. Can you imagine if Abram would have given up? 25 years he waited for that promise. In Hebrews 6, 11 through 12, it says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that, you not be, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Like Abram, if we will continue to place our trust in God and be patient instead of giving up at the first sign of inopportunity, then we will see God's promise fulfilled in our lives. Amen? And then in Genesis 22, 1-8, you've heard me say it a few times today, that faith requires action. And we're going to see one of the greatest examples of that that really just blows my mind every time I read this story. In Genesis 22, 1-8, it says, After these things, God t- tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham? And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. They went both to them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, my son, he said. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for us, for himself, the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. See, just when you think the story is over, just when you think that God had given him the promise, his son was born, and the offspring that are going to populate the earth that are innumerable through that seed is here. God says, you know what, now it's time to take it away. And how many of you think this is an unreasonable request? Only, only Joe, everybody else would be cool with it? Yeah, I wouldn't be cool with it. This is an unreasonable request. God had finally given him what he had promised, everything that he had promised. And then God said, you know what? Now you've got to sacrifice it. You have to give it away. It seemed like God was taking everything away. 
But as I read this, I'm reminded that even though we see it as an unreasonable request, some things that we have to recognize is that one, we know the everyone knows the end of the story, right? Abraham is faithful, he's willing to offer up his son, and God stays his hand and provides a goat in the thicket for them to sacrifice. He doesn't sacrifice his son. And as I read this, I look and I recognize that God didn't change his mind at the last instant. It was never God's intention to kill Isaac. This wasn't about Isaac dying, but this was everything about Abraham, Abraham's willingness to trust God. Abraham said, God, I trust you. And there had to be some evidence of that. And this was, this was the faith that requires action, required evidence of it. In Genesis twenty-two fifteen through 18, it says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from the heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. It was always God's plan to, for Isaac to live. And it's obvious that, that Abraham passed. He trusted God. He was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. And it, and it seems in the, in the words that are written, pretty much without hesitation. And you can say, man, what kind of guy would offer up their son? What kind of guy must have Abraham been to do that, to be willing to kill his own son? And part of me thinks that as well, because yeah, Jesus was my son. I want to tell you guys right now, we'd all be going to hell. Because I don't think that I, I would have the, the fortitude, the resolve to do even what Abraham was asked. But the truth is that Abraham trusted God with everything. We actually get some insight in the book of Hebrews in Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promise, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham figured that if God wants me to do this, I'm going to trust him. I've trusted him this entire time, and he's been faithful. God said that, that, that through Isaac... The offspring will populate the earth. Apparently this doesn't matter. If I kill him, God is able to raise him from the dead. This isn't going to stop the promise of God. His faith was great. And also Isaac, we read the story, and, and most of us read the story and think of, of the boy Isaac as some five or seven-year-old boy. But truthfully, many historians who have studied, it doesn't say exactly how old he is, but they've studied the, the stuff here, shows that he's probably a young man. He was probably over 20 years old in his, his early 20s. <coughs> and uh, he was obviously big enough for, for to carry all the, he says it later on, Isaac, his son, a, a five-year-old's not going to carry enough wood to burn a human. But So he's 20 years old, at least when this happens. And there's no indication that he struggled. There's no indication that he fought back. And I, I personally think it's safe to say that Isaac trusted God as well and trusted his father. But yeah, it seems like an unreasonable request. But then I, I look, like I said, I see that one, it was never God's intention to kill Isaac. But then I also recognize that God wasn't asking anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. 
Except for in the case of Jesus, he went through with it. Jesus gave his life so that we could have newness of life. The sacrifice wasn't interrupted when Jesus was on the cross, but he he gave his life fully because of his love for us that we could be made brand new. Like I said before, if it was up to my son to go on the cross for your salvation, we'd all be in a much worse off place. But God loved us so much that he gave his one and only Son up for us, that we could be made brand new, that we could be in fellowship with God. Not that just our sins would be forgiven, but that we would be brand new. Amen? And we'll finish here. Hebrews 11, 8-12 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go, out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was just past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham was a great man of faith. His entire life was exemplified by putting his trust in God. He trusted God when it seems unreasonable. And doesn't it quite often seem unreasonable what what we're asked to do or asked to place our faith? But as a result of always trusting in God, he received what he had been promised because God is faithful. So let's be a people who, like Abraham, will live our lives trusting God. And I know that God will be faithful in your lives. And every promise that has been made to you will come to pass. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, stand to our feet.